Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com, part of the Sports Illustrated Network, with episode 83 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast, presented by Bet Online, Hoffman Sausage Company, and Purple Banana. We have a great episode for you this time around. We are going to talk about Syracuse's loss to Florida State, 41-3 for its third straight defeat. But more specifically, some silver linings, and yes, you can find some silver linings in such a loss. Some things that Syracuse needs to accomplish during the bye week, and what the final record predictions are from our panel of Josh Crawford, Griffin Delapena, and Sidney Suple. Given that we've seen Syracuse fall apart in these last three games, how does that change our outlook for the final five of the season? Football is back, and Bet Online is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info with up to the minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with Bet Online's real time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, Bet Online gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. So, three in a row, all in bad fashion and it seemed to kind of get worse one after the other although i think north carolina was a little bit worse than florida state but either way syracuse loses 41 to 3 to florida state to drop its third straight falls to four and three on the season syracuse has now officially scored fewer points than the game before it in every game so far this season which is bonkers when you look at the fact that they scored 14 against clemson seven against north carolina and then still found a way to score less than that against florida state But um, instead of just being doom and gloom, because it's very easy to do that, let's let's look on the positive side, which, by the way, we are recording this right after I watched whatever that was from the Philadelphia Eagles. And as those who know me know, I'm an Eagles fan. So it is testing me and testing my emotional capacity to try to be positive about anything right now, especially when I'm looking at a Jets fan and Josh Crawford right now while I'm doing this. But this is what I do for you people. I suffer through it and I I make it work. So we're going to try to be as positive as possible with all of that background. I apologize if I'm snippy as a result, but the silver linings, what are the bright spots? What can you take away from this game? If you're Syracuse, that can be encouraging or something to build on for the rest of the season. Sydney, you were there, you were at the stadium covering it for us. Uh, we'll start with you. What, what do you think Syracuse can take away from this game? That's positive. That's a silver lining that they can build on for the rest of the year. I believe the first thing would be LeQuint Allen. I mean, the fact that he had over a hundred yards and 110 in total, 
against, you know, NFL caliber defensive players, I thought really just speaks to how talented he is already, but also just hit the ceiling that he has. You know, he had big shoes to fill coming into the season, coming in after Tucker. And when you perform that well against a team like that, you just know that kind of sky is the limit and what he can, you know, continue to grow on in years to come. So I was really happy with that. I also think that the O-line had did a better job blocking, but then also fell short in other areas that we'll get into in terms of all the, you know, tip passes and yada, yada, yada. But I think the other highlight would be just the defense. You're obviously going up against, you, you know, a uh, Heisman candidate cornerback. And I felt like between Elijah Clark and, and Justin Barron that they had a few big pass breakups. And also FSU came into this game 20 for 20 in the red zone and Syracuse stopped them twice back to back in the red zone. So this defense definitely also has what it takes and I think they tried to hold on as best as they could before the floodgates opened. Yeah, so let's let's start with this um, as far as Florida State goes. They've scored 30-plus points in every game this season. I think they're up to 12 in a row. If I, It's either 12 or 13. It's somewhere around there. And it's it's either the longest streak in the country, active streak in the country, or it's tied for. It's, it's one or the other. And um, it's the longest in the ACC in quite a long time. I don't remember the exact year but um the point is their offense is really good and it's funny to say that the defense is a silver lining when you gave up 41 points and 535 yards of offense but there's some context to that right so florida state had 27 points through three quarters and basically everyone put a bunch of backups in in the fourth quarter and Florida State had two long touchdowns for about 150 yards, I think, in, in total offense. So in the fourth quarter. And, and that kind of skewed the numbers a little bit. Florida State was obviously much better than what Syracuse was. But this was a much better showing, I think, than the week before from the defense. And there were times when they were putting pressure on Jordan Travis. They were stopping the run. As Sydney mentioned, they stopped Florida State in the red zone a couple of times, had some fourth down stops. Um, they forced a couple of field goal attempts. And... You know, I think they got some um, three and outs. They forced some punts. So overall, they gave their offense a chance in this game. They were the defense was ready to be competitive on the road against a top five team in the country. The offense just was not anywhere near that same level. But it was encouraging to see the defense look much more like what we thought it was in the first four to five games than whatever that was against North Carolina. So I, I think that's that's a good point. Just wanted to point out those statistics because I know some people might say, how is defense good when you gave up 41 points? But uh, there's a little context to that. And how many times can you force a stop and then your your offense goes three and out before eventually, you know, that it just defense can only do so much for so long. Uh, and Josh, you know that well as a former defensive lineman. So we'll go right to you. Your, your uh, silver linings from this performance, if you can find any in it. Um, silver linings is over with. We knew that this was going to be the toughest three game stretch throughout the year, and they got through it. Like you said, it, it was uh, a nice litmus test through these three games to see where this Syracuse team could piece it. And it's, I think, it decidedly to a, a mid tier to lower tier ACC team. But we got through it he- relatively healthy this time last year after your big, you know, ranked game stretch. You had a Gary Strader who looked like he was, he should have been taken out for the year, honestly. You had other injuries to guys that um, were going to be crucial to your offense, the defensive sides of the ball. 
So this year is kind of a little bit of reverse of that. The, the, the Gary Schrader thing with food poisoning sounds a little bit iffy, but definitely uh, not as tangible or a serious injury that he had with his, his shoulder or his elbow after last year. You got a guy in Isaiah Jones back that's coming that after playing four snaps in the previous week, like he got some consistent run. And, you know, Kalen Ellis and Trevor Pena still are in the Syracuse football multiverse somewhere, but they're not injured. So in, compared to where you came out of last year in terms of health-wise, that's the only silver lining that I got for you, Mike. All right, that's that's fair. Um, now I do think it's it's worth pointing out the the point that Sydney made with LaQuinn Allen. I actually thought he looked really good in this game. He didn't look overmatched by what Florida State brought uh, defensively. We know they're athletic. We know they're fast. We know they've got a bunch of NFL guys on their defense, and he ran over guys a couple of times. And he looked he looked really good, I thought. And it was the best that he's looked and the best that the offensive line has blocked for him, I think, all season when you consider who the opponent was. Um, problem is their passing game was just completely non-existent. And you hope for, from a Syracuse perspective that part of the reason their passing attack was non-existent was because of that um, food poisoning from Garrett Schrader. So... We'll we'll see how that ends up playing out, but we'll go to you, Griffin, on your positives, your silver linings from a forty-one to three loss. Want to eat healthy like Syracuse football players? Then you want Purple Banana. Located on Marshall Street next to Varsity Pizza, Purple Banana is known for its acai bowls, but offers many more bases than just acai, with over twenty-five toppings to choose from. They also offer smoothies, cold-pressed juices, oatmeal, and salad. Everything is made from fresh ingredients daily and is colorful, healthy, and delicious. The vast majority of the shop is gluten-free, vegan, and dairy-free with options for all health-specific needs. Purple Banana is your go-to shop for healthy, delicious options that will have you feeling like a Syracuse Orange athlete. Visit purplebanana315.com or purplebanana315 on Instagram for more. From now until the end of football season, participate in the Smoothie Showdown at Purple Banana to support Syracuse players and their charities. Caleb Okachuku, Justin Barron, and Marla Wax have each created a signature smoothie. $1 from the purchase of each of their signature smoothies will go to the charity of the player's choice. The athlete who sells the most smoothies will earn an extra $1,000 for his charity, with an extra $200 going to the other player's charities as well. I think you guys touched upon the bigger ones. So I think one that we haven't mentioned is that this bye week for Syracuse could not come at a better time. After seven really hard-fought games, level of competition was on an incline going into this very difficult three-game stretch. You have not had a lot of success overall in terms of offense and defense clicking at the same time in ACC play. So now you can hit the reset button. It's a nice week to get back to the basics, have some other guys who maybe are banged up, bruised, to get back at least to somewhat closer to 100% and then enter this much easier five-game stretch to end your season. Uh, I do think even though the Virginia Tech game is on a quote-unquote shorter week with it being on Thursday, it doesn't really matter considering you're coming off your bye week anyway. So I think... Yes, you would have liked to have a better overall result against Florida State, but that is going to be very big for this team is, okay, you can take a deep sigh of relief. Maybe going into it, you didn't have crazy expectations that you were going to go 3-0 and in the stretch anyway. So now that it's over, you can enter this five-game stretch and hopefully end the season on a high note. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I, I agree with you. I think the bye is coming 
at, at a perfect time. And as much as we looked at the schedule before the season started and said, man, that three game stretch is brutal. We said, but if you're going to pick when your buy is going to be, it's kind of right in the middle of the season, right? They're one game past the midway point, but it's still right kind of smack in the middle of your season. And it's right after your most difficult stretch. So it gives you a chance to reset, not only physically, because yes, obviously you want to get guys as close to physically healthy as possible, but we know how much losing can snowball on you. And from a mental perspective, especially with what they went through last year, it gives them a chance to sort of take a step step back, reset themselves and go up against a team that doesn't have NFL players all over their roster and go through this weekend, not being hit by those players play in and play out. So I agree with you. I think the, the bye week is in a perfect, perfect spot. The next thing I wanted to get to was, I saw this on social media, both in the last two games, there were different times where Dino Babers did not go for it on fourth down. I think one of the most notable was in the North Carolina game when I think they had a fourth and one, they lined up to go for it. They ended up with a false start, ended up at fourth and six. They were still in North Carolina territory, but elected to punt it at that point. There was a a situation in this game where they had a fourth and I forget what the distance was three or four or something like that. And they elected to kick a field goal, which ultimately was missed. Uh, But at that point, I don't remember whether the score was 24 to three or 27 to three or whatever it was, but Syracuse was down by two to three touchdowns. So the question is, should Dino Babers or Syracuse, whoever on the staff is making the decisions to go for it or not in those situations might be offensive coordinator. Should Syracuse be more aggressive in those fourth down situations or when you're down by two to three scores against the teams that they're down by, does it not really matter? But would you like to see Syracuse be more aggressive in those fourth down situations as they go through the rest of the schedule? We'll go right back to you, Griffin. I think overall for coach Dino Babers, it, what type of message does that send to your team in those situations? If you're going to be down by three scores, regardless, like in this last game against Florida state, does that show your team that you want to be aggressive, that you're in it to win it? Or is that just a very passive approach? I know in his mind and all the players mind that, you know, that's not going to make or break the game, that then they're going to come all the way back and, and make it a competitive football game. But still, to have that sort of mindset, I think, is pretty counterintuitive as a head coach. I would like to see him be a little bit more aggressive in those situations and to show the guys that, hey, we're in it. We want to be here. And I just think overall, regardless of what level of football, if you're talking college or even in the pros, that sends a message to your team that I think could be a little daunting to some guys in the locker room and at this pivotal point in the season where it could go really good coming out of this bye week against Virginia Tech or we could be in a very similar spot as the team was last year uh, I don't think at least moving forward that these decisions should continue to be made by coach Josh your thoughts you're you're a a former division one player you've you've been in situations like this um, when your coach doesn't go for it. How does that affect you? And, you know, do you think that Syracuse should be more aggressive in some of these situations? It's tailgating season and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, 
you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells, Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. Now, Griffin's point was spot on, honestly. We talk about the decision-making with the uh, with the offensive play calling. That is very indicative of the trust that you have, you know, and the skill guys you got back there, but also primarily the offensive line. We talk about the particular for the goals, the fourth, the fourth down situation that we've been running into with fourth and one, fourth and two, and um, like I said, that that would be easy. You know, you know, uh, Mike as an Eagles fan, that you rely on the offensive line. You have a big physical quarterback, so that, those would be kind of gimmies at this point, especially in the age of you know analytics and how aggressive a lot of different OCs are. So that's that is that's that's, that's all you can say is I, that's a clear uh, indication of the lack of trust that you have in the offense um, to create. You know, positive yardage. That's all it is, too. There's no way to work around it. So I think that we're talking about the question at hand, like, yes, I think it's undeniable at this point that he needs to be more aggressive on fourth downs. But I think if we take a step back, that this is a thing that has kind of been a persistent issue with him, with, you know, in terms of this season, but also in his co- coaching philosophy at large. There have been, you know, issues even going back to the uh, the COVID season in 2020, where you were down two, three scores, and you still can, you still failed to go for it on fourth down when games that a lot of people consider blowouts. But those decisions are just still indicative of the lack of aggressiveness that you had. And that's, you know, another thing of indication of where Dino is at in terms of his, um, his involvement as a coach. We're not in the 1990s anymore where everybody lines up with two tight ends and a fullback and you kick it if you're not in plus territory with fourth and one. The game has evolved to where, you know, again, analytics or even just aggressive offensive coordinator mindsets tell you to go for it on fourth down if you're in plus territory or if you're comfortable in a situation outside of, you know, five and six. So I think that we just, yes, the question is under my, the answer is undeniably he needs to be more aggressive. I think there needs to be a, a tougher examination on why he feels the need to be so conservative because it's not just a, a case-by-case thing. I also think it depends on the opponent in the situation because, you know, if Syracuse is playing Colgate, Western Michigan, I understand being a little bit more conservative in those games because you feel like you're the better team. And if you just don't do anything stupid, then you should come out victorious. Right. But when you're going and playing at Florida state, I'll give another example of, of one that I, I don't think was really discussed much on social media, but Syracuse's first drive. Um, they on third down, I think, I don't remember if Schrader scrambled or if he threw a pass, but they ended up with like a fourth and one, fourth and one and a half, something like that. And it was right around, you know, the 34 yard line or something like that, uh, their own 34. And I'm thinking, man, just go for it, right? It's the first quarter. You're at Florida State. No one expects you to be anywhere competitive in this game. Send a message to your team like, listen, it is fourth and one. We are deep in our own territory, but. I'm here to win this game. Let's go for it. And I think that gives your whole team a jolt. And I'm not saying that the game would have turned out any different, but if they had gone for that and gotten it, then, you know, I think that does send some sort of message to the rest of your team. Now, of course, if they don't, he would have been crucified. He would have been absolutely crucified by the fan base, by the media, et cetera. But I think at some points you just need to say, you know what? Screw all that. We're going to go for this. Uh, because if we're going to pull off an upset, we need to do some things that are unconventional. That would have been unconventional. Just like throwing a pass, a backwards pass to a wide receiver who then throws it to Garrett Schrader is unconventional. You can do some of that in your decision making as well. 
So those are the types of things that that I would like to see. Now, when you're going against Virginia Tech in a week and a half, that's a little bit different, right? That That's not a situation where first quarter, fourth and one, deep in my own territory, I'm going to even consider going for it. But at Florida State, in a game no one expects you to win, yeah, take a chance. That's that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, Sydney, your thoughts? You actually took a lot of the words right out of my mouth that I had been feeling. I apologize for that. No, <laughs> no, they were all great points. And it was really interesting because in the post game, that exact play, the one that you're talking about that happened early, early in the first was asked. And he said he, Babers, that he thought about it for a long amount of time, but he said it was too early. But in my opinion, it was the perfect time because that's a way to get your guys fired up. And yeah, even if they don't get it, they end up scoring. I know it's tough, but there's still a lot of game and it, it at least shows your team that you have confidence in them and that you're going all out with nothing to lose because at the end of the day, Syracuse had nothing to lose. No one expected them to win. So you have to take those chances. You have to show your team that you believe in them and that you believe in the little miracles within the game. And, and I thought that that was a huge missed opportunity and it was actually a pass to Hatcher which and it was fourth and one that they decided not to go for it on that play. And, and I agree, it was all the difference maker in the world. But it's funny you brought up that trick play because when we were all watching it, it was actually Allen that was deep, wide open in the backfield. We were saying if only Brown would have looked up and passed to him, but it's hard to tell a wide receiver, well, you should scan the field and not just throw right to your quarterback. But it would have been crazy if he did because I think it would have been a clear touchdown. No one was by Allen. Yeah, that's it's uh, the wide receiver's not used to going through his progressions there, right? <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's part of why he's he's the wide receiver. But I'm actually a little surprised it was to to Donovan Brown and not Dan Villari, the former quarterback. Uh, you wonder right. if he would have maybe seen that with some of his quarterback instincts if he had been the guy throwing the pass. So that's uh, that's interesting. But yeah, listen, it's it's a tough situation. Um, it, I don't know that there's really a right answer. We don't know what would have happened had they gone for it. But um, I I think sometimes you just got to be a little more risky in some of those situations. So now with with the fact that Syracuse is on its bye week, I think we touched on it a little bit, but what is the number one thing you want Syracuse to accomplish during this bye week? We'll, we'll go to you, Josh, for your thoughts. Um, For me, and this, this is the thing that's going to be hard to actually build with non-game reps, but just some of the continuity with this O-line. Like just things that were – like Sydney was talking about, you have – you had a decent amount of push in the run game, which, you know, that's just straight physicality. It's not a lot of scheming stuff in terms of, you know, setting pass pro, setting the direction of the line. There's not a lot involved with that. It's just straight uh, want and will. And they showed a lot more of that than they showed for the most of the season. But the pass pro was kind of just similarly bad. And we know we're talking about an elite D-line. We're talking about a guy like Jared Versch and just some of that talent that this for this three-game stretch that we were going to be, you know, simply overwhelmed with. But there had to be – a more consistent effort, whether it be bringing extra guys, bring your tight ends or extra guys in to, to support the pass pro or just have better identification skills with where blitzes are coming from, where these, how the fronts are being set. But that pass pro just has to improve. And I think that that'll do a, a really big job of, you know, unlocking our offense and kind of some of the other things that I've told us to scale down on with you not being able to have, you know, consistent two to three seconds in the pocket. If we can, can create that time for gear, I think that will allow those those deeper hitting routes in the open up the playbook a little bit for Beck to see that, you know, that it gets some of those explosive plays that we've been missing. So just 
whatever way, I said, I'm not in the practice with them, but they got to solidify some of that, that pass protection for the offensive line. And, you know, kind of going off what the civil lining is, giving these guys, you know, nine to ten days to get back healthy to see what this team, it looks like fully formed, you know, going into this back half of the season. You know, we know around the gas is not going to be there. We've seen how that's played out in the terms of lack of diversity, lack of diversity across the receiving core. But we have to solidify who is going to be our receivers, who's going to be our one, who's going to be the guy that we look to on these first reads. I don't think it needs to be Damian Alford, but if it is, that you need to make make sure that sure that is make like emphasize him or whoever's going to be at the one. Um, you know, like I said, get Trevor Pena, Kalen Ellis out of Syracuse football multiverse and see if they're going to be part of your team going forward. A guy like Dar- uh, Darrell Gill that has some pretty decent moments uh, in the first the non-conference games. We just need to see the roster, this actual roster, you know, solidify what was going to what is going to be working with this, this back half of the schedule. Yeah, as far as the wide receivers go, I'd make Amari Hatcher the the top guy. I've seen the most from him, especially in the last two to three games, and. Alfred has had plenty of opportunities and hasn't done much with them. You know, there's been too many drops. There's been the inability to get open. Um, you know, so I, I just, I think he's probably best served right now in a complimentary role. I'm not sure I would rely on him to be the number one guy, but Umari's made some tough catches. Um, he's gotten open, seems to be the only guy that's gotten open multiple times per game. And, you know, I, I think he'd be the guy that I would trust the most, but, Ultimately, you're going to have to spread it around because there's nobody on the roster that's all of a sudden going to be Aronde Gadsden 2.0 and be the guy that teams game plan against. So we'll see how that plays out. I think, you know, to, to your point about being a little bit more creative offensively, you're getting back to some of the big plays. Um, I thought they had an interesting adjustment in in the game against Florida State, which was they rolled Garrett Schrader out right off the snap and sort of moved to the pocket along with him to try to take away the advantage of Florida state's defensive line and to, to give the offensive line a little bit of help. I think you can continue to do that against teams that aren't as athletic up front as Florida state is. I think that's something you can incorporate into your game plan and you can do some things off of it, such as, you know, having your wide receiver that lines up on the side, you're rolling to, perhaps come back in the backfield behind Garrett Schrader and you can pitch it to him and have him go the other way, sort of catch the other team off guard. But I, I think there's some different things you can do with that. I thought that was an interesting wrinkle. The trick play was something that was new that we hadn't seen. Um, they did go back to the well of trying to have Garrett Schrader pretend to hand it off and then, you know, uh, roll out with a naked bootleg, which still got a few yards, but I, I think you can do some, some more things like that. But Interesting, interesting uh, thoughts from Josh there. Sydney, we'll go back to you on what you think Syracuse should accomplish during the bye week. I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach, um, kind of going off of, you know, Baber was just saying they need to rest. But I think as an athlete, like you just suffered three back, three losses in a row. It's very mentally challenging. And I'm sure a lot of the guys are feeling a little maybe defeated or down with like the hopes that they had not only physically, but mentally. And I think now is the time where you need to really just kind of take a step back and remember your purpose and why you're playing the game and why you're playing this season and how you want to finish it. So I think if anything, like they need to have, you know, a reestablishment of who they are as a team and why they're doing what they do and what their identity is. And I think now is the best time to one for all of them to find that individually within themselves, go back home, see your families, like feel love from them, 
and miss football for a minute and then come back as a team and, and establish who you guys want to be. I think they had a very clear identity within the first four games. And when people were going down, they were so quick to say next man up, but it's felt like these last three, like they know guys are going down and there's just that mentality has switched and you can tell. And I think now is the time not only to regroup physically, but regroup mentally to give them a driving push and passion and just remembrance that they're doing it for each other moving forward. Yeah. I mean, it with, with the way that last year unraveled now, they're not as banged up as they were during that stretch. We don't think we think Garrett Schrader is close enough to hundred percent that he can go out and be effective, but they were so banged up last year, lost a ton of starters and Garrett Schrader wasn't anywhere near close to being able to do anything competently and teams knew that and defended Syracuse accordingly. Um, But that six game losing streak, uh, five game losing streak, it can wear on you mentally. And they heard all the chatter. And as soon as Syracuse lost to Clemson, all everyone was talking about this year was remember last year when they lost five straight and it all started with losing to Clemson. And then they lost to Clemson this year, and everyone's saying, do you remember that? Is that going to happen again? And they're asking the players about it. They sort of need to remove themselves from that and just reset and focus on what is ahead of them because the schedule is very forgiving. I understand that Virginia Tech played much better this past weekend. I understand that Pittsburgh played much better this past weekend. I don't care. Those are teams you can beat. They are not anywhere near what Florida State, North Carolina, and Clemson are. And resetting mentally to refocus on who you are is, I think, the most important thing for this bye week. Griffin, your thoughts? Yeah, I think Josh mentioned the offensive line getting back and recuperating. I think it's going to be more trying to just look at your past game and what you want it to be. Because throughout this season, it has been one week, it's Dan Villari's week, and we see him have a breakout week. And then we sit here on a Sunday night and talk about, oh, wow, is Dan Villari going to be involved in this offense? And then nothing. Early on in the season, Damian Alford had a breakout game against Army. Then you're not going to him as much consistently. So I feel like every single time you're seeing glimpses of certain guys and maybe what their role could be substantially over a larger part of the season. And then scheming-wise, you don't see plays that are going to bring out their best attributes or put them in a great position to succeed. Having a little bit more fluidity, I guess you can say, in that and continuity and knowing in your game plan, okay, we're going to try to get this guy involved early and often. I have not seen that, honestly, since probably week three against Purdue and trying to go to your go-to guys early in games. And I think that makes things more difficult for Garrett as well because you don't have that confidence level, even with your receivers, week in and week out because they don't know what their role is going to be. Sometimes when you know that you're a bad man and you're going to come in and you're going to have eight catches and over 100 yards, that's going to give you a little bit of a boost. And I don't see that with any playmaker right now on this team. I know that you don't have a Rondé Gats, and the talent that he provides is going to speak for itself. But sometimes with the guys that are currently there in the wide receiver room or even in the tight end room, uh, you might need a little jolt of energy like that. So I think this week with Jason Beck and even Coach Babers and Garrett, just to sit down and say, where do we want to be? 
because entering this season, we thought it was going to be a much more pass-heavy approach. We were going to have twin towers on the outside. I know that Isaiah Jones has also not been healthy, which takes away a lot of um, that aspect as well. But now that some of these guys are starting to come back, you really have to think, how are we going to put Garrett in the best position to succeed? Because you're not going to win these next five games if he's under 100 yards passing or even close to what we saw even in the first few games of the season uh, to really make sure that this offense can be uh, what you would like to expect it to be. Because I think coming in, people did have high expectations and, and rightfully so. Yeah, no question. Now we're going to wrap up this episode and we got about a minute for each person here with your um, record predictions for what Syracuse is going to end up with now that they sit at four and three with what you've seen so far. Where is Syracuse going to end up is as far as their final regular season record and why? We'll go right to you, Sydney. You, your original prediction of nine and three is still on the table. So are you you sticking, are you sticking with that or are you downgrading it to some extent? No, I'm locking in my intern. I'm sticking with it. I really believe that, you know, they faced incredible competition within these last three games. They play, they face players who are going to go off to the NFLs and have incredible careers. And, you know, even last weekend, you look at all of the tipped passes. I think these next five games, you're not going to have tip passes. Those those wide receivers were there and they're going to make those plays hopefully. Um, but I have confidence in them. I, th- I think the one game that could give them a little trouble is Georgia tech, but I think that comes after, you know, a few games, hopefully build up momentum with Virginia tech, Boston college, and then they can start getting back into their prime when they do face Georgia tech, who I think is kind of a sleeper team, but. Yeah. Georgia tech is, they're an interesting team. Some weeks they play like they're a, top four or five team in the league. And some days they look like they're at the bottom of the league. You know, they, they got blown out by Bowling green at home, but then upset Miami on the road. Now it took an all time coaching blunder by Miami in order to do that, but they were still right in the game all the way down to the end, even without that. Uh, Josh, your thoughts on the rest of the season, how it plays out and what their final record will be. Um, I'll also be sticking to my preseason predictions, looking at, like I said, the expectation of the team and what the three game stretch proved. We're a solid, we're solidly a middle tier ACC team, and we're playing these next five games against solid middle to lower tier ACC teams. So I think that we're three and two shakes up however way that we look at it. Like I said, I, like y'all said, I think that Georgia Tech game, then that that's the most talented quarterback of the last five we played with Haynes King, especially after he played against Miami. So that that one being in Atlanta, um, that's probably the closest guaranteed L that I have, and just the way that we've seen this team with. Injuries and some of the inconsistencies. I think they're talented than all four other teams of Vitek, BC, and Wake Forest. But we have, I think Griffin mentioned it a couple weeks ago, where you're having a Virginia Tech team that's fighting for ACC relevancy themselves. Thursday night primetime game. Even us coming off a bye, that could be a chance to where we could be sleepwalking. They could be, you know, up to the task a little bit. So either that one or probably a Pittsburgh game, they could be rejuvenated by quarterback change. But three and two, the last five, however, where they shake up. I think that we'll be not a limping in the bowl season the same way, but kind of that same uh, dissatisfaction at the, a really hot start this year. Griffin, your thoughts? Yeah, sticking to my preseason prediction as well, 7-5. and five. Uh, Going into this stretch, we knew that it was going to be a gauntlet, and coming off of this bye, you do have some very winnable games, but how most things go in sports. You can't play them on paper and there's going to be some things that will happen. 
uh, regardless if it's injuries or if it's unpredictability uh, throughout these next five games, if it's going to be playing Pitt in a neutral environment that will probably have more Pitt fans and Syracuse fans at Yankee Stadium, that could be a toss-up game. Or even the last week of the season against Wake Forest, there's there's so many things throughout this stretch that I think even if you go above 500 in the last five games, yeah, you're sitting at another above 500 season, back-to-back bowl uh, appearances for the program. You're going to be pretty happy with that regardless, uh, even though you hopefully like to anticipate maybe uh, an eight-win season considering the the hot start from the get-go with a 4-0 record. But, uh, you know, it's baby steps. It's baby steps in the Syracuse program, and you got to take take the wins when you can. Yeah, no question. Listen, if if Syracuse gets to a bowl game this year, I understand there will be people that will be disappointed, but it'll be the first time they've been to bowl games and back-to-back seasons in a decade. And that's still something you can build on. We'll figure out all the question marks going into the offseason. You're, you're going to have to figure out a replacement for Garrett Schrader. Is a Ronde coming back? You know, all of those questions can be answered at a later time. But yeah, I've I've got Syracuse. I'm going to have him at eight and four. I think I had him at seven and five in the offseason. I'm going to upgrade him a game to eight and four. I think they're going to beat Virginia Tech. I think they're going to beat Boston College. And I think they're going to beat Pittsburgh and Wake Forest, but I think they're going to lose to Georgia Tech. That's how I got them to eight and four. Wouldn't surprise me if they ended up at seven and five. Um Virginia Tech's kind of a, a weird team. They're undefeated in conference at home, but Earlier in the season, they had three straight games where they scored under 20 points. They only scored 17 against a Purdue team that Syracuse scored 35 on. They only scored 16 at Rutgers. They scored 17 at Marshall. And then since then, um, they've scored over 30 points in two of their last three games. And the one game where they didn't was at Florida State. They scored 17, a team that Syracuse just scored three on. So it's there's some kind of interesting things there. They made a quarterback change. They're now going um, with Chiron downs who are drones. I should say who's been uh, pretty good the last two or three games. And he's very mobile. He's going to test Syracuse, but I think having the extra week off being able to reset Syracuse is better than Virginia tech top to bottom. And they'll come out focused. Boston College isn't very good. Pittsburgh had a one-game jolt from the quarterback change and playing a ranked team at home. But I think ultimately they'll settle back into what they've been. And Wake Forest is a hot mess. Georgia Tech, to me, is easily the best team that Syracuse has left on its schedule. So I think Syracuse is going to figure out a way to get over the Babers November swoon that we've talked about in years past. And given when the bye happens and the way the schedule shakes out, They'll win four of their last five games, finish the season eight and four, and go to a decent bowl game. That'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Syracuse podcast. For Sydney, Josh, and Griffin, I'm Mike McAllister, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.